You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We played a game when we were in the car traveling. Don and I would come up with a number. And each person in the car, we would go one person at the time, going around, would have to come up with something from the Bible, an event, a story, or a truth that was associated with that number. For instance, we might say the number 40. And Maybe in your mind right now, you can think of a few things in the Bible that had to do with the number 40. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights during the flood of Noah. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. The children of Israel ate manna for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain when God gave him the Ten Commandments. The 12 spies spent 40 days spying out the land of Israel before they went in. The children of Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. King Solomon, King David, King Saul all reigned over Israel for 40 years. For 40 days, Jonah preached in Nineveh. And finally, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. The number 40, you can see how the game was played. And trust me, it got pretty competitive in our car. We would work our way around, each person taking a turn. And if you didn't come up with something quickly, the buzzer would sound and you were out of the game. But it was a lot of fun. And guys, let me if your parents here this morning, if you have kids, this is a great way for your kids to learn the Bible. Because it creates a lot of discussion. It creates a, a real desire within them, if they're competitive like our kids were, to learn some things. Well, another very popular number that we would come up with was the number three. And I can see some of your brains already working. Okay, there were three people in the Trinity. Jesus was three days and three nights in the, in the grave. Uh, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Well, this morning, we're going to look at one of those important trios. It's found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This morning, we'll begin reading in verse 11, if you'll join with me there. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three But the greatest of these is love. Here Paul identifies three foundational pillars of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. And they stand as giant building blocks upon which every Christian should build their lives. They are both foundational and necessary. For no believer of Jesus Christ can become all that God desires them to be without a strong faith and without a purifying hope and without a sacrificial love flowing out of their life. See, just 
No, no table can stand without at least three legs. If you take one of the three legs out and there are only two left, the table will quickly topple and fall. And so it is with the Christian walk, guys. If you take away any of these three pillars out of your life, your walk is going to suffer and sometimes even collapse. Because each one, faith, hope, and love, establish a character trait in our life that is indispensable. And if you take away one, we're not going to maintain the proper walk with God that he desires. When you take away one, our outlook gets out of focus. And soon we begin to misrepresent the Christian faith. Our walk becomes unbalanced in a direction that's not pleasing to the Lord. Our attitude suddenly moves to an extreme that doesn't represent Jesus to the world. This morning, I want us to examine what faith, hope, and love add to our lives in the way of both attitude and outlook. And then we're going to examine mistakes that happen in our lives when we allow one of those building blocks to to not be there. Now let's go back to verse 11 and start there this morning. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, to first establish the context, and it's always important for us to know the context of a passage, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. He's been instructing the Corinthians about how to exercise those spiritual gifts properly, especially the vocal gifts of prophecy and tongues. He had been laying out some rules and some boundaries for the use of these specific gifts within the public church service. In other words, when they gathered on Sunday morning, how were they supposed to use these gifts and how are we supposed to use them? But then suddenly in chapter 13, Paul interrupts his thought to remind the Corinthians of the most important factor in using the gifts or in using anything that has to do with the Lord. Everything in the Christian life, including the exercise of God's supernatural gifts, must be done in love. Paul says, without love, even the most powerful sacrifice, even the most impressive exercise of faith, even the most amazing spiritual revelation, it's useless and meaningless if it's done without love. Guys, love is the heartbeat of the Christian life. Love is, the, is just a very part of who God is. God's heart is full of love and compassion. Everything that he does is motivated and driven by love. Now, in verses 4 through 7, Paul defined for the Corinthians what love was. He, talks, he tells them what love is, and then he tells them what love is not. Now, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Why don't we, together as a group, read this morning Paul's incredible definition of love. Let's read it together. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Read it with me. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Guys, 
Love is the one thing in your life that will last for eternity. It is the one thing. See, the need for spiritual gifts will end when Jesus returns. (laughs) But love will never end, and it will never fail. Now, Paul makes a comparison here. He compares his own life as a child maturing into a man to that of us as earthbound, corruptible humans becoming incorruptible people fit for eternity. And Paul, just as he matured and put away childish things when he grew up, we also one day will be changed into heavenly mature beings suited for eternity. And at that time, Paul says, we will no longer need the temporary things, the temporary things, the childish things, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge. In that day, those things will appear childish to us. We will be transformed. We will be given bodies that are fit for eternity. Something that will in some way resemble the Lord Jesus. And Paul says, at that time, we will know even as we are known. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't think it means that we'll be omniscient like God and know everything. But it does imply that we're going to be different in our knowledge and our understanding than we are in this life. In other words, we're going to know a lot more. We're going to know as we are known. There's going to be a a certain multiplication of our knowledge and our understanding. It is going to be an incredible day when we see Jesus face to face and the dimness with which we see him now is cleared up and we're going to behold his glory and in that day we're going to be something like him. That's an amazing thought. But in the meantime, Paul reminds us to stay focused on three things while we're here on earth. He tells us to abide in faith, in hope, and in love. Now this word abide, it simply means to stay put. It means that we're to hang out with or to stay close to faith, hope, and love. Just as Jesus told us to abide with him. We're to keep ourselves right where he is. And we're also to keep ourselves right where faith, hope, and love are. Which I think is right beside Jesus. I think it's all right there together. See, uh, to abide in something means I don't have to strive for it. If I were going to just say, I'm going to abide on this stage today. It simply means that I'm going to stay right here. Now, I don't have to work hard to stay right here. I just got to resist the temptation to leave. As long as my feet stay planted on this stage, I'm good. Now think of it this way. Jesus and his three close companions, faith, hope, and love, are right here on the stage with me. And if I want to stay close as well, well, then, then I've got to avoid chasing something out those doors. I've got to avoid running down these stairs, down the aisle, and out the doors. But too often, that is exactly what we do. We leave Jesus behind and we chase after something else. Things that we think are going to make us happy or that we think are going to bring contentment to our lives. We leave and we go out chasing more money or a better job or a different spouse or a more exciting experience. You name it. And we're prone to chase after it, aren't we? All the time, Jesus 
and his companions, faith, hope, and love are right here. But we think we need something else. We start thinking there's something else out there that's going to make us happier. Something that's going to make us more powerful or more popular or more secure. Just something out there we want. So, so what do we do? We run out of here and we chase after it. And we leave the most important things behind right here. We leave behind forgiveness and contentment and love and peace and rest. And we walk out those doors and we pursue lesser things. Guys, what is it in your life that causes you to wander away? What is it in your life that that Satan knows when he hangs it out there? Boy, your feet start moving. Well, has it lived up to its promise? Is it fulfilling you the way he promised it would or the way you thought it would? I'm guessing not. Because my experience has been it never does. And what do we sacrifice when we start pursuing those things? (laughs) We leave behind the Lord. We leave behind faith, hope, and love, thinking we can replace them with something better. And God, but we've got to stay with Jesus. He's the only Savior. And in order to please Him, we've also got to abide or stay with faith, hope, and love. So this morning, with the remainder of our time, I want us to examine what faith, hope, and love each individually bring to our life. In other words, what do they add to my life when I embrace them? What impact do they have on me? What influence do they have on me that affects the people around me and influences them in a positive way? Well, let's begin with faith. See, faith is defined for us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'll put it up on the screen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Simply put, faith is the conviction that something is truth, that it's true. Now, understand, faith looks back, okay? It always looks back. It looks back on the life and the work and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's having the belief and the confidence that his sacrifice was given and it'll make me right with God. Not because I did something right, but simply because Jesus did enough in God's eyes to make me right and righteous before God. Now, Romans 3.28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. In other words, there's nothing that I can do that will make me right with God. God accepts me apart from my good deeds. He doesn't look down at what I did and say, Okay, boy, you had a good week, James. I'm proud of you. You're, You're right with me today. And then what about next week? I am so thankful God doesn't look at me. See, I I could struggle and I could fight my whole life to keep God's law with my greatest effort. But even then, it wouldn't be good enough. But then Paul says in Romans 4, verse 5, But to him who does not work. Now let me read that again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. See, guys, my right standing with God comes 
when I do what? It comes when I look back on the work of Jesus and I trust and I believe what he said. This is salvation by grace. I don't earn it. Jesus just gives it to me freely when I trust in his word. So how does faith grow in my life? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, you know this verse, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faith grows as my knowledge and understanding of this book, the Bible, grows. Therefore, the person who abides in faith is the person who grows strong in God's word. He puts it as a high priority in his life, learning and understanding and following the scriptures. And this is why we are to daily look back at God's promises that we find in his work and to trust them and to believe them. We're to look at the revealed truth that God has given to us through his word and say, okay, God, I look back at all this stuff and I embrace it and I believe that it's true. This is how faith is built. And this is how faith grows in our lives. It becomes the first pillar that supports my walk with Christ. Faith is the starting point for everything God does in my life. But next comes hope. Now, just as faith looks back, hope looks forward. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Behold, he says, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Notice it's looking forward. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. All hope in my life is based on things changing and things getting better in the future. Isn't that what hope is? It looks to events happening in the future that are going to be good for me. that are going to make my life better. And here John is looking forward to the return of Jesus. And he says, this is the most important hope that we can have. This, is the, this, this hope is everything for us. John's hope that he's looking forward to is the return of the Lord when we'll be changed. We'll be transformed. Paul said, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will become like Jesus. In Paul's word, we will know as we are known. And this is the ultimate hope for every believer. Hey, of course, we have our day-to-day, moment-by-moment hopes. And they're important in our lives. You know, maybe some of you are hoping this morning that next month you're going to be a little better off financially than you are today. Or maybe you're hoping that next year your health is going to be a little better than it was this year. Or you, you, you look to the future and you hope to finish school. Or maybe you're hoping to get married one day. See, all of these are important aspects of hope. But in the Bible, the hope that, that God wants us to really look to is that eternal hope. When we look to the end of sin... To Jesus reigning and ruling in this world. A time when we're set free from these bodies of sin and death. Guys, that's the real hope of the Bible. And John says that when we have that hope, it impacts our lives. Notice what he said. He says, everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, 
purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. Hope, this eternal hope, has a purifying effect on our lives. See, this this hope causes us to look beyond the temporary pleasures of this moment and to focus on eternity. This hope causes me to look ahead and to think about the consequences of my choices that I'm about to make. It helps me look beyond this moment when when I'm tempted to do something. And I look forward and I say, wow, if I make a better choice, When I look to eternity, God, I want to make a better choice. And so we make a choice that that looks to eternity and causes me to make a pure choice. A choice that reaps godliness in my life rather than the works of the flesh. Just as faith adds the strength of God's word to my life, hope adds the purity of Jesus to my life. It adds an element of moral purity to every choice that I make. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 15, he says, As he, and he's talking about Jesus, who called you to be holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. See, what motivates me to be holy in my conduct? It's looking out to Jesus. It's looking beyond this moment to him out there and saying, Hey, I know you're coming back. And I know when you do, you're going to change me, and I want to be ready for that moment. It is this pillar of hope in my life that causes me to live with an eternal perspective. Do you live daily with that hope? Do you live daily looking for the day when Jesus will return? Because it's that hope that purifies your life. Now, there's a third pillar that he mentioned here in our life that we're to build our lives on, and it is the pillar of love. Now, as we said, faith looks backwards. Hope looks forward. Where does love look? Right around. It looks in the present. It looks in the moment. It looks all around us. According to Paul, love is the greatest of the three pillars. Now, now, let's pause for a minute and think about why that is. Well, the reason is simple. It's because love is the eternal pillar. Love is the very heart of God. Love's going to flow from God's throne forever. Once we get to heaven, man, we're no longer going to need faith or hope. Our faith is going to be realized. Our hope is going to have come to pass. But the love of God is going to continue to flow from his heart to our heart to the people around us for all eternity. This is why love is the greatest. But what does love bring to our life? What does love add to our life? In one simple word, it adds compassion. It softens our hearts towards the people around us, especially towards the people in need. It causes us to be willing to sacrifice our wants in order to meet the needs of other people. Someday I want you to just pull out your Bible and go through the Gospels and pay attention to the number of times the phrase, Jesus had compassion, or Jesus was moved with compassion, appears in your Bible. See, our Lord was keenly aware of the needs around him. He saw the need, and his response was always the same thing. He got moved with compassion to help meet that need. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, I think many of us have been conditioned to ignore the needs around us. See, we make some, some assumptions that Jesus didn't make. We assume that if a person has a need, it is somehow their fault. They must have been irresponsible. Or they must have done something sinful. And that's why to blame for the condition they're in. And if they hadn't done it, they wouldn't be there. I don't want a show of hands, but how many of you instinctively think that way? I do. I'm going to be real honest with you. That is my first reaction when I see a person who's got a need. I just shake my head inside, not outside, and I go, I wonder what they did to get that. I'm just like the disciples when they saw the blind man and they said, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? What was their assumption? That person's blind because they did something wrong. But I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't think that way. Now, he never ignored the why of the situation, but his response was still compassion towards the need. Certainly, he could have passed judgment, but he most often chose love over judgment. And I find in this way, I am not very much like Jesus because too often I choose judgment over compassion. And it breaks my heart. Did Jesus meet every need? Did he heal every sickness? No, he didn't. But he seemed ready to meet every need that the Father brought in his path. Every need that God led him to, to act on, he was ready and determined to heal. In other words, compassion was the driving force in Jesus' life and in his ministry to others. I've heard compassion defined this way as love in action. And I think that's a good definition. Our love needs to wear the shoes of action. Too often we think of love as a noun in order as a feeling. But love needs to be a verb. It needs to be the motivating force behind the life of every believer. It needs to push me to do something. Now, in our remainder of our time, I want us to discuss something that I think is very important. Why we need all three of these working in our lives in unison. You see, as I look around the church today, and really throughout history of the history of the church, I believe we have a real tendency to some degree to focus on one and leave out the others. For example, many Christians today tend to stress the pillar of love. And, and that becomes the driving force in their life. And they get things out of balance. And when they get out of balance, they, they don't really, though they're loving, they don't look very Christ-like in their loving you know, if you take all of your energy and your effort as a believer and focus it just on love, in other words, if, if you believe that love is the, is the way and the only way to model Jesus, that compassion is the only driving force in your life, guys, your life is going to get out of balance in some ways. See, faith and the love of God's word can be compromised if you think love is the end of everything, hope 
and the purity that it brings to my life, if it's not important, if, as long as I'm just acting compassionately, and I'm not going to worry about the purity of what I'm doing, it can lead me down paths that are dangerous. And so we end up as a church, or we're out there in the community, out there in the world, and we're, attracting, we're attacking every social need that's in front of us. World hunger, the sex trade, poverty, you name it. And it becomes our cause. And it becomes the only thing that matters. Well, let me say, those are legitimate needs, all of them. Those are important causes, all of them. But if that becomes all we care about, and we think solving those problems is the mission of the church, and we leave out faith and hope and the effects that it has on our lives, we get ourselves in trouble. See, the problem with many groups today is they have little need for God's word. See, they're, they're, they're out being compassionate, but they're fine leaving the Bible just sort of as a book of fables. They would say, well, you know, it's the lesson behind the stories, not whether the stories are true or not. The word of God to them becomes a book of suggestions, a book of wise sayings, but it's not the infallible word of God. Or too often they, they're willing to compromise purity in the name of unity to fight a cause. And all of a sudden we find ourselves partnering with all kind of ungodly people in order to promote a cause. And even an important cause. But this was never the case with Jesus. He was compassionate. But he always tempered his compassion with truth and with honesty. And when sin stood in the way of compassion, Jesus would deal with the sin first. And then he would help the sinner with his compassion. Now understand, he wasn't harsh in his judgment. It was loving somebody enough to deal with the real issue in their life that was important to Jesus. This was his love being tempered with faith and with purity. All three of these we see constantly working in the ministry and life of Jesus. Now, a, a second set of problems can occur when a person only builds his life on the pillar of hope. You know, there are people out there that are only looking forward or always looking forward to the return of Christ. They're very heavenly minded and they have very little concern about the world and the problems around them. You know why? Because they are convinced this world's passing away and they rightly understand that this world is doomed. But lacking compassion for the lost world, they put no effort and no priority into helping the needy right around them. They're like those fleeing from a sinking ship whose only focus is getting off the ship and into the lifeboat. But in doing so, they ignore the drowning people all around them. Oh, they've got their place in the boat and there just isn't room for other people. Or at least they don't want to take the time to drag a few more people in the boat. And it's all because they lack the proper understanding of Scripture. They, they lack what the hope of Christ is all about. They take it out of its proper context. They lack the grounding of faith that, that we need to have this hope. But if we don't have it in a proper biblical context, we reach all kind of wrong conclusions about how to deal with things in our lives. 
You look around. These are folks that are always getting tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that flows through the church. They're easily deceived. They're always chasing the latest fad, and they've always got to have something new. The the, the latest experience. What's going on out there? i got to go find it. Guys, that's a dangerous place to be. But hope, without compassion and without truth, puts us in a dangerous place. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to go to those kind of extremes. But what about people who focus only on faith? And they don't put a proper emphasis in their life on hope and love. These are those people that they have a passion for God's word, but they quickly take on the attitude of the Pharisees. They love God's word, but are critical and harsh when it comes to people and their needs. They're quick, they're quick to judge others because of their inferior knowledge to the word. They take pride in how much they know. Oh, they've read and studied the scripture, but they never internalize the teachings of the Bible to the place where it reveals the heart of God in them. They read passages like James 127, where James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble, compassion, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Hope and the purity that he brings. See, here, James, he he shows us this purity and compassion of the Father. There are two things that are always need to be coupled together with our study of the Scripture. But many of us can quote the passage, but never know and experience its heart. We become hearers of the Word, but not doers of the Word. Guys, I can relate to this one. Because this is the one I struggle with. I grew up in the church. I've known, been learning the Bible from the day I could understand the English language. But it's so easy for me to know God's word, to love God's word, to take pride in God's word, but to lack the love and compassion for the people around me. I can talk the talk, but can I walk the walk? That's always the question for me when I look in the mirror. See, it's easy to become like the people Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23, verse 27. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. See, because of our knowledge of the Bible, we know how to look and talk spiritual but what's going on on the inside? Do we have the purity of heart that God desires? Do we have the compassion for the people around us that God desires? Or are we just full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness? This is why Paul exhorts us. He encourages us to abide in faith and in hope and in love. We need all three of these pillars building simultaneously in our lives We have to avoid the tendency to to focus on the one that appeals to us most. See, if you're naturally compassionate and merciful this morning, if you have the gift of mercy, you know what? You're going to focus. And you're going to focus on compassion 
And it's going to be the most important thing in your life because it appeals to you and because you understand it. If you're one of those who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, you just wake up in the morning with a passion and a love for God's word, you got to be careful that you don't latch onto that knowledge and miss the application of God's truth. And guys, if, if, if you're one of those people that just, you dream, you just dream about being with the Lord. And boy, that's your hope. And, and you know, you, you, you just kind of live in that world of, I can't wait. Be careful. You can't live there. You got to live here. To be the man or the woman that God desires you to be, that person who's perfect and complete, lacking nothing, we have to abide in faith and have a passion for God's word. We have to abide in hope and have a passion for that purity of heart that God wants to bring to our life. And we have to abide in love and experience the compassion for others that it creates when we rightly understand God's heart. A love for God's word, a love for a pure heart, a love for those around me. This is what God desires in each one of us. Hey, is one, has one of these things become the foundation that you have built your life on? I think for some of us that's the case. Today, we need to realize that I've got to build on all three. I've got to abide with all three of them. All three have to become the purpose and the driving motivation behind my life. Because if I don't, it's very easy for me to get off, to get sidetracked, and to not rightly represent the heart of the Lord. And my prayer this morning is that we will. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.